It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. As a podcaster, few things fire me up as much as feeling really, wait a second, I just said that in an odd way. <laughs> I'm going to scratch that statement and reword it, but not as cool and just say <laughs> that I feel fired up right now and I'm excited to record. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Tuesday. I generally record this show on Wednesdays if things are going as planned. Sometimes I push to Thursdays or Fridays. Saturdays, Sundays are like super late. And as you may remember from a previous episode recently, I recorded a week before the episode came out, which gave me a lot of anxiety because I like to give my editor time and they generally need a week minimum to edit an episode. But it's tricky because sometimes I'm just not in the mood. Sometimes I don't feel like I have the creative energy to record. Today is a big exception in a couple ways. One is like right now, I can't wait to talk about what I'm going to talk about. And two, I have multiple things I could talk about. I don't think I have the energy to record two episodes today, but I'm tempted. As you may know, I'm traveling soon, so I'm also going to need to record some episodes much farther in advance. And it just feels good to have a topic that I feel deeply connected with and I really want to explore with you. I also want to acknowledge the fact that this episode comes out on the 4th of July, which would have been an interesting thing to look further into. I can't remember if back in the day with Jason, when we used to do very thematic episodes, like time-sensitive, time-centered, holiday-centered episodes, I used to plan a lot of content around the day that the episodes came out. And I don't know if we ever released one on 4th of July and if we ever really talked about it because... Off the top of my head, I have a sense memory that there might be something problematic about 4th of July that might be worth talking about, but I don't I don't know. I feel ignorant in this moment and it's interesting, right? Cuz it feels like a privilege to be ignorant of things that are or could be problematic and I'm not trying to take any magic away from some of these celebrations, but I th I'm just trying to be really mindful of holidays and what they mean. A great example, too, is yesterday, as of the day I'm recording this, was June 20th, and that was tied into June 19th or Juneteenth. And I still feel pretty ignorant around what Juneteenth means, even though I thought this year there was a lot of media dedicated to that day which was incredibly helpful for me not really understanding it. And that cultural awareness and that conversation is just helpful, you know, because it's easy to celebrate things like Thanksgiving's a great example that maybe you were raised to believe as being happy and unproblematic, but Sometimes it takes a lot of education and mindful conversations to realize that not all holidays feel the same to others. And that kind of ties into today's topic. So I want to acknowledge that it's, it's summer. Fourth uh, of July often feels like a very summer-focused day and a fun day. And so I hope if this day does not trigger anything negative for you that you are enjoying it or have enjoyed it if you're listening to this after the fact. And this week I'm traveling, which, you know, not this week that I'm recording, but the week that you're listening to this, likely I'm traveling and I am so excited to talk more about that experience and share what's going on with that. But that's not what today's episode is about. It is about, well, partially it's about perceptions, just like I mentioned, how what one thing feels like to one person may not feel the same to others. In fact, it's almost impossible for things to feel exactly the same. And I'm very passionate about keeping myself aware of that and checking in with others. 
I learned something actually kind of along these lines. I'm just recently part of something called the Food Justice and Policy Team Coalition. And we had a meeting to discuss how we were going to work together to advocate for food justice and policy. And something I learned from that was this terminology called, I think, oops, ouch, educate, or ouch, oops, educate. I don't remember the exact order. Let me see if I wrote this down. I don't think I did. And essentially, from what I understand of that now, that's a, a framework for acknowledging that you may make a mistake, your oops, say something that might not be accurate, might not be, maybe not fit into the context. I'm trying to think besides accuracy, how else to describe that, but an oops, basically like a mistake and probably an unintentional one. And then the ouch is when you say something that hurts somebody or triggers somebody and the educate is an opportunity for that person who's acknowledging the mistake or feeling hurt or triggered for them to educate the person who said something that, that triggered that, right? Hopefully I described that well. And that framework has really resonated with me. And I think it's so important in spaces where you're talking to people who have drastically different life experiences as you or who, who are just very different from you. One being in that context was race, right? So you might unintentionally say something that is not right or not factual, or you might say something that triggers somebody. And because you have very different life experiences, backgrounds, you're just different. It's an opportunity for somebody to educate you on why that hurt or why that was a mistake so you can grow from it, right? And even though I have fear of making mistakes and try really hard not to tread lightly, there's really no way around it, right? I, I will inevitably say something that is misinterpreted or hurtful to somebody or might, might just not be right. Like maybe I think it's right, but it's not. That's been a huge part of my journey as a podcaster. And I really welcome the oops, ouch, educate model from people like you who might want to take an opportunity to educate me on something that felt like a mistake to you, was a mistake or was hurtful to you. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I had kind of one of those moments today on TikTok that was really interesting. I saw two videos in the context of a short amount of time of my TikTok scrolling that were playing on this trend of women. I'm trying to describe this visually, especially if, you, if you're not on TikTok or don't know about this trend. It's typically a woman that shows her front view meaning like her face and front outline of her body, right? She's standing towards the camera and showing how she feels really sexy or hot or whatever from that view. And then the music changes and suddenly the music sounds kind of off. The tone has changed. I can't remember exactly what song has been used for this trend, but it, it kind of like turns into almost like clown music, right? So it goes from like cool music to not cool music, or like sexy music to not so sexy music, right? I'm pretty sure that's what it's like. <laughs> I'll have to go seek it out again, right? So when the music changes, the perspective changes too. And now you see a side view of this girl. And generally, her side view is a very different view of her body. And the text on the screen starts off from the front view saying what I think I look like. And the side view, when it changes, the text on the screen says something along the line, what other people see me as. And when I view this trend, to me, it seems like girls saying, I feel sexy when somebody sees me from one angle, but actually they're seeing me from a non-sexy angle, right? And the reason this has become such a big trend from my perspective is that it feels very relatable. It reminds me of the times where I've gotten ready, gone out, felt sexy, hot, cool, like confident in how I looked. And then someone took a picture of me and I saw it later and I didn't think the photo was flattering. 
And I felt like, wow, is that really what I look like? Wow, I must not be as hot, sexy, or beautiful as I thought because of that photo. And that's something that I've experienced throughout my life. I remember being fairly young and seeing photos that caused, triggered a lot of shame for me. And especially like photos my friends would take. And I would think, wow, I guess I'm not that pretty. Wow, I I guess I don't look as good as, as I thought I did. And it's that awful feeling of wondering if how we perceive ourselves is not in alignment with reality. And that can feel painful, especially if our self-worth is tied into our appearance. And considering that for many women, or again, I'm always trying not to make this a gender issue, I would say for many people, period, our appearance is generally a huge part of self-esteem. And that might not fully feel within our control. It might not even be something that we're fully aware of. But as I've researched this, one of my favorite sources for information on beauty culture is Jessica Defino. She has a phenomenal newsletter. I think she goes by she, her. I don't want to misgender Jessica. Jessica's newsletter is called The Unpublishable. And it's probably my favorite newsletter. In fact, as I've been thinking about revamping the Wellevator newsletter, which I'm currently pausing, at least at the time of the res- this recording, I'm feeling very drawn to relaunching the Wellevator newsletter as, or in the style of Jessica's The Unpublishable, because she has this amazing ability to convey knowledge, wisdom, but also feel like a friend to me. She feel or Jessica feels very relatable, but has an authority. And I learned so much. And I bring Jessica up because I sat down a few weeks ago and started taking notes very intentionally. I'm trying to like go through every single newsletter she's published because I haven't done that. And when I read the, this newsletter, I feel like I really want to take notes, almost like I'm reading a, an ebook or something. And something that really stood out in one of these newsletters was that beauty standards have always been physical manifestations of systems of oppression. And in one of her segments, Jessica wrote about how it's harder for women and girls to opt out of spending their time, money, and energy on aesthetic labor without facing financial and social consequences, meaning that there are consequences to opting out of the beauty standards. And that just hit home for me. I mean, no wonder so much of us, so many of us are concerned with our appearances and how people perceive us because we're likely very afraid of the consequences of not fitting into the beauty standards. And that has a massive ripple effect and it's probably more than most of us have really stopped to think about. So going back to this TikTok trend where I saw multiple girls showing their front view and their side view, which was a direct comparison, my perception of that was they don't think they look as pretty, as sexy, as appealing in the side view. So I wrote in the comment section of one of these TikTok videos, something along the lines was expressing how I felt like it was hard to watch these videos because they didn't come across to me as being accepting. They came across as one part of us feel like we like, gosh, it's hard to put into words. (laughs) Virtually that our side views, our profile views were not as attractive. And this is something I see people say a lot on TikTok. So it wasn't these specific women that posted these videos. And it wasn't the one that I commented on. I wasn't trying to call this person out, but somebody else in the comment section was saying something similar. And I commented back to this person saying, you know, I agree. Like it's, I don't even know what my words were. I don't think I use the word disappointing. Maybe I did. But anyways, I comment something basically conveying frustrations and disappointment. And the creator writes back something along the lines of, 
I wasn't saying that I wasn't as attractive from the side. And I stepped back and I'm still processing that comment because I'm not sure that I believe them, to be honest. I think it's easy to say that, oh, I'm just saying I look different from the side, which is part of what her comment was saying. But when you show the front of your body and say, this is where I feel hot, sexy, and confident, and then you show the side of your body and say, this is what, how other people perceive me, isn't that saying that the way other people perceive you isn't hot and sexy, right? And again, like this is all going off my memory, so I don't even remember the words that were on the screen, but this is my perception. This is going back to that oops, ouch, educate formula framework. It felt like an ouch to me to see another woman publicly, or, and I should say women, plural, because this is a trend. I have seen countless women do this over months, and it's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Actually, I take back the always, because maybe the first time I saw one of those videos, I thought it was kind of funny because it felt relatable. And... It was relatable because, like I said, I've, I've seen photos of myself, for example, or videos or whatever it is, feeling like the way that I looked in camera was very different from how I felt. So, of course, I can relate. But to see that over and over and over again gave me pause after a while. I thought, wow, like, are we reinforcing that idea that how we feel about ourselves is not in alignment with how other people perceive us. And is that creating more insecurity? Because to go back to my example, when I was younger, that created massive insecurity. And it also has a deep ripple effect. This is where that ouch comes in. I mean, the oops comes in for me, right? So it ouches me. I'm triggered by these, this trend, not this, these individual girls. I'm not trying to call them out. I am curious, though, how much awareness that girl had who tried to say that something along the lines was that like, almost like she was backpedaling, like, oh, well, I didn't really mean it that way. But how, how else is that supposed to be perceived aside from, the, I don't even know, aside from what? <laughs> how else could you interpret the comparison between a front view and the side view, the profile view? I'm not, I'm, especially when... And this part is interesting to me when the way that the woman is positioning her body drastically changes, the, even the, the posture, I think, changed from like the shoulders back, kind of looking proud and confident, which there is scientific research that shows the difference in energy that we convey to others based on how we hold our body. So to go from that confident stance to a slumped over, shrugged over, maybe sticking the belly out type of pose, you can personally claim that that profile is acceptable and beautiful and sexy, certainly. But culturally, I don't believe that to be the case. Because when you dig into the work of people like Jessica Defino, who studies beauty culture, and maybe I don't have a specific example of this, but her body of work in general is sharing how we have set standards. And if you go against it, you risk social consequences, right? Just like we can't ignore racism, for example, like we can say, as, as a white person, for example, like, oh, I didn't mean that to be racist. But if our words are typically considered racist, it's not a matter of our intention. Hopefully I'm articulating that right. Just like I make mistakes on this show, I cause oops and ouches regularly, despite my best intention. And that's why it's helpful not to get defensive but to acknowledge how we're triggering others. And this just caused me to go down this whole rabbit hole that I'm still kind of on, right? Because I read her comment and my first reaction was, hmm, okay, maybe she just didn't mean it that way, right? Like I could 
try to accept that. But then, as I mentioned, the next level was, is she trying to cover up and backpedal? Or does she just not realize what this body of work, this trend represents as a whole and how that as a whole is problematic? Not her specific video, but participating in a trend that's pitting women's bodies against themselves. That's further pushing this idea that what there's a difference between how we perceive ourselves and other people and that if they don't align, then somehow, I don't know, it's so hard to even articulate this. And this is part of the issue here. This is part of why I want to take this apart. Because I just, I stick to my guns here where I just feel like after reading so much about this and having so much of those experiences, you know what it reminds me of? That scene in Mean Girls. If you haven't seen it, there is this moment where I think there's four girls, Lindsay Lohan and... I don't remember all the other girls off the top of my head, but it's kind of amazing, actually, that cast. When you look back, all of them are very famous, but yet right off the top of my head, can't even name them all. But Lindsay Lohan is playing this girl who moved from South Africa to wherever else in the United States. And she's the new girl. She, because of the way that she was raised, doesn't really understand a lot of the social norms at the school. And she gets drawn into the popular group and all the popular girls befriend her. And the quote, queen bee, the blonde girl, is standing in front of a mirror and starting to complain about part of her body. And her other two friends, they start complaining about their bodies too. And Lindsay Lohan's just kind of standing there awkwardly watching them do this. And they turn to her and ask her, what part of your body don't you like? And I think, if I remember correctly, that she just makes up something just to fit in. But the reality is that moment showing that she doesn't actually feel that insecure about her body, but the girls kind of manipulate her into or bully her, peer pressure her as the term I'm looking for, into finding a flaw within herself. And that scene is also conveying how girls are kind of bonding over their flaws. And that's interesting too, right? Because maybe it feels good to know that other people find flaws within themselves. I think I felt that growing up. I still do. It's like it feels good to notice other people's mistakes sometimes. So then you don't feel like someone's perfect or better than you. It feels good to have someone else notice something they don't like about their body. So you can say me too, or you can say, oh, phew, like I'm not the only one that is uncomfortable in my body, right? But as that scene kind of points out, it's like perpetuating itself and it's drawing other people in. What if somebody saw that trend on TikTok and didn't feel uncomfortable about their side profile, but they see enough of those videos and suddenly they think, wow, like, is there something wrong with my side view too? And Or what if they have the same shape body as this girl and this girl's reinforcing insecurity about themselves, right? For me, I have never had a flat stomach and that has been a source of a lot of discomfort, I guess, for lack of a better word spent so many years of my life trying to flatten my stomach. And even though to this day, I don't try that hard, there's still part of me that thinks about it all the time. And it's sad because I've spent so much mental energy and so much time and so much money in the span of my life trying to get a flat stomach. For what reason? Truly. Is the reason because I don't want to pay the social consequences? Is the reason because I've been told over and over and over again by the media that if I don't have a flat stomach, then I'm less than, I'm not as pretty or as hot. So for me, that's where that ouch comes in when I see a video like that. Because when I see a girl complaining about her profile view, specifically her stomach being emphasized in a video like that, it's that message come in again, saying, see, Whitney, that girl's body isn't good enough and she doesn't have a flat stomach. 
So since you don't have a flat stomach, you might must not be as as good. Your side view is not as good as your front view, right? It's it's seeing other people pointing out these things over and over again about themselves that can be incredibly triggering and cause harm. But even if it doesn't trigger an old memory, an old feeling, if that feeling isn't there, maybe it's planting that seed for the in the first place. And the fact that the girl who posted that video doesn't see a problem with that is concerning or isn't willing to acknowledge it or is too busy trying to defend herself. And I get the defensive. You know, I have a big challenge with feeling misunderstood. You know, it's one of the most uncomfortable things for me is when I say or do something and it's misinterpreted. So uncomfortable. However, when somebody else articulates an ouch, that's where I'm learning to say, this is not the time to be defensive. This is not the time to say I was misunderstood or try to defend my original point. What I've learned is, and what I'm practicing, still working on this, is what if, if, if somebody said that to me, like let's say I put out a video, and I'm sure I have actually, I, I'm willing to bet that somewhere in my YouTube history, I've done something like that. Or commented, joined in on it, like this is not to say I have not done these things, but current present day Whitney, I would hope that if the same thing happened to me, I would first acknowledge my trigger of being misunderstood because that would probably cause me to want to defend myself. If I could avoid that knee-jerk reaction, And take some pause and say, okay, what this person is saying is that that was an ouch for them and maybe an oops. And perhaps I could ask them to educate me instead of defending myself. Because collectively, that makes more of a difference. And here's the other side of it, too. When that girl wrote back her message, which was pretty, it wasn't like defensive. She wasn't. She didn't come across as like angry defensive. She was more just like clarifying perhaps or or maybe I wasn't the only one who commented that. So she, she felt she had to say something. And I, I get the desire to, you know, clear the air, right? You see this happen all the time in, in comment sections of things. And it's so common for things to be misinterpreted, misconstrued and people to get in a bandwagon. Like, I don't know what the context for her responding to me was. But what's tricky is that she got defensive and then I started to question my comment and I started to think, "Uh uh-oh, am I being, quote, overly sensitive? Is this my issue that I'm projecting onto her? What if it is innocent? Like I started to doubt all these things that I've been sharing today. What if I should just let it go? Why did I need to comment, you know? In hindsight, or in this moment, realizing that I commented because it was an ouch and maybe an oops. And I'm trying to find the words to, in the strength and the confidence to let people know when it's an ouch or an oops. And that's hard for me because it's hard. <laughs> that's hard for me because it's hard. That's challenging for me because I don't like confrontation. And I get very nervous, especially around a stranger. I don't have a lot of psychological safety with them. It's hard to share feelings in a place of strangers who might not accommodate your feelings, who might not engage in a psychologically safe dialogue, who might not be open-minded, who might not be in the same mental space as you, right? Like I wasn't trying to get into a debate and I found myself thinking, oh no, Whitney, why did you post this? What if a bunch of other people start ganging up on me? You know, that fear, that mob mentality is really interesting. And that in itself is tricky because when you try to speak up on something that hurts and you're afraid of being attacked for voicing your feelings. That's, that's sad. Because then what do you do if you don't feel comfortable voicing the ouch? You maybe 
internalize it instead and you just feel further shame and hurt? What if the in these spaces we don't feel comfortable pointing out an oops because of that? I mean, it's very tricky to talk about beauty culture. It's tricky enough talking about racism. And I mean, I'm deeply passionate about noticing racism, capitalism, the patriarchy, all of these forms of oppression. I'm noticing them everywhere. I just finished a book, actually, that ties into this, too, called The Belly of the Beast. And it's a book about the racist roots of fat phobia, essentially. And there's also messaging in that book about transphobia, gender issues, so much in there. And it was really eye-opening to see the historical side of hatred for larger bodies. You know, and here I am commenting on another white woman who maybe can't see the issue here because she's white or because she's young or because she has some sort of privilege or because she, well, because of that privilege, doesn't have to examine those things. Maybe because the beauty standards are in her favor. And what if? Her making a video like that is a way for her to fit in. What if that's why this is a trend? If women who don't feel like they have, if they don't feel like they meet the current beauty standards, feel like the only way to fit in is to make fun of themselves for not meeting those standards. What if that's a safety measure, just like the movie Mean Girls? Like, I'm not perfect, so I'm going to make fun of the fact that I'm not perfect in order to at least psychologically fit in with others because nobody feels perfect, probably, right? Like we all have flaws, so let's all point them out. That's the way that we bond, kind of like gossiping. If we can gossip about other people, it often creates this sense of safety and that's how we come together and, and sh- in our shared feelings. So maybe me calling out made her feel unsafe and that's why she defended herself. And it's interesting because what she posted made me feel unsafe. And I was trying to call that out as a way of saying like, hey, can we bring attention to this? What if we stop participating in these trends? What if we stop pointing out our, you know, I'm not saying we should never talk about our flaws, although should we? Honestly, in general, I take a lot of issue with that. I feel so uncomfortable when other people talk about their flaws. I think maybe it's that Mean Girls moment, too. It's almost as if I'm the Lindsay Lohan character. I think her name's Katie in that movie, right? It's, oh, if someone else complains about her gray hair, does that mean that she thinks it's socially unacceptable that I have gray hair and that I'm not dying it? And does that mean that there's something wrong with that? Am I going to have to pay these social consequences? Suddenly, she's highlighted an issue that I wasn't concerned with before it was brought up. The other (laughs) random thing was nails. There's this, I think, a sound trend, but I, I feel like I've seen at least a few videos of girls saying that they feel psychologically safer with girls that don't get their nails done. And if you don't watch the video versions of the show, I don't do my nails. I maybe get one manicure a year. <laughs> That's like an exception. I typically cut my nails. I don't even file them. Like I'm the most basic person when it comes to stuff. Most beauty things in general, I don't I don't really do. I don't enjoy it. And doing my nails, especially like the long nails that are in style right now, it's just not my thing. I have zero interest in it. Maybe painting my nails, getting a manicure with short nails, cool. I like the way that looks, although I cannot stand when the nail polish starts to chip off and then I have to take the nail polish off and it's just such a pain. Kind of like my hair. I think one of the reasons I'm trying not to dye my hair again and not, I'm not saying that as a statement, like I will never dye my hair again, but for the indefinite future, I don't intend on dyeing my hair, my grays. Because when I used to dye my hair, which is probably like 10 to 15 years ago, 
I couldn't stand my roots to start to grow in. So annoyed. I'm like, you mean I have to go back to the salon again, spend more money and time just because I have like a little bit of my root showing? Ugh. So that's when I stopped. I was like, no thanks. (laughs) This is not worth it for me. Anyways, so this video trend of like feeling more comfortable or something around girls that don't get their nail done, like their nails done, you would think that someone like me who doesn't get her nails done would take that as a compliment. But in a way, I saw that video and thought, oh, so you mean I'm on the outside? Like I'm in the minority of women because I don't get my nails done? Is that what this trend is trying to say? Because <laughs> that's kind of how it came across. And I wasn't offended, but I just stepped back and thought about it. I've had several moments like that throughout my life. There is a time where somebody pointed out my eyebrows I never thought about doing my eyebrows, truly. I don't think until that point, and that wasn't that long ago. That was probably in the past 10 years. And my eyebrows are naturally on the fuller side. If you're you're not watching the video, like how they are in my YouTube videos, in my photos, that's just my eyebrows. I don't even pluck them anymore. Can't even remember the last time I did that. I used to do it a little bit. I think in high school, I have a couple like little patchy, areas and like the front, but I don't even know how I would style my eyebrows. I've tried to use the eyebrow pencils, no idea how to use them. I used to wax my eyebrows a little bit, didn't really know what I was doing. I got them professionally waxed maybe once, maybe more than that. But my point being like, I just could have cared less about my eyebrows until somebody pointed them out. And I don't even remember if it was my eyebrows they were pointing at or somebody else's and thinking about somebody else's made me wonder about mine. And every once in a while, I feel I have this moment of thinking, oh my gosh, do I look socially unacceptable? And that's scary because then you start to feel like you're the outsider and you don't fit in. And to go back to Jessica Defino, this term social consequences, she also said, or again, Try not to overuse pronouns without being clear on on them for people. So Jessica also said, we buy into the beauty myth, the idea that embodying an aesthetic ideal will bring success and happiness for the same reason we buy into the myth of meritocracy. Hope for transformation obscures the reality of harm. That's pretty heavy. Hope for transformation obscures the reality of harm. If we constantly think that we can change and do better, we feel like we can protect ourselves from harm, from failure, from unhappiness. Jessica also points out, and this might have been a quote from somebody else based on the way I I took notes on this, to earn that lifetime and money through beauty, you sacrifice your lifetime and money to beauty. This is huge for me to earn that life, time, and money through beauty, like to use beauty as a way to earn lifetime and money. You sacrifice your lifetime and money. And I don't want to do that. Just like I said, I don't do my nails, my eyebrows, my hair right now because it's time and money. I do the most minimal amount possible. I get my hair trimmed about every nine months, sometimes every year. That's about all I feel like I need. I spend maybe 15 minutes doing my hair. When I go out, generally, my hair is up in a bun. I was thinking earlier today how interesting it is. I moved to a place in my life where I rarely ever wear my hair down. I don't really like wearing my hair down. This might be a sensory thing tied into neurodivergence, but I don't like the sensation of my hair on my neck and my shoulders. It's so fascinating because I feel like there was a big chunk of time in my life where my hair was mostly worn down, especially in videos. would rarely ever ever wear it up because I thought I looked more attractive with my hair down. Now, I just could care less. Like, If someone's judging me on my appearance, they just don't 
that's not the type of person that I want to focus on in my life because my aim is to connect with people on a deep emotional level, not a surface level, visual level, right? And anyway, so that line though is, you know, time and money, you can see that being a sacrifice. But the fact that the word life is used in that quote is really alarming to me. I'm trying more frequently to just really take in how fleeting life is and to really spend my time and energy where I want it to go. So perhaps TikTok as a lesson for this video is not probably not a great use of my time, although I'm also not a big fan of judging how people spend their time. And listen, like I'm not saying I'm free of judgments, but I am just enjoy most of my time on TikTok until it triggers me. <laughs> but maybe there's nothing wrong with these triggers, right? Maybe these are just great opportunities to reflect on what's important to me, not judge this girl and, and this trend, but just reflect on why does that hurt and where can I educate? And that's why I made this episode. There's another line too that kind of ties into what I've just shared. I don't remember the context of it, but in Jessica's work, the line was convincing others to adopt her oppressive eye of beauty. I think this was mostly on the topic of Kim Kardashian and how people like Kim capitalize on convincing others to adopt oppressive ideas of beauty. And that's the thing with these videos is when something becomes a trend and when something is is literally about comparison, right? There's no way around that. The fact that she compared the front of her body to the side of her body is a side-by-side comparison, point blank. She's trying to say that both, like she tried to position as if it was like a neutral thing. But again, the music wasn't neutral and the text on the screen wasn't neutral. In general, a comparison, I don't think is neutral. This is something else as I was trying to think through my reaction to it. Just because you put something side by side does not mean that it's a competition, doesn't mean that it's greater or less than. But I think that culturally, there's a general tendency to compare. So again, we have to be careful about how we present things and the meaning. This is where the education comes in and why, even though it was uncomfortable for me to comment, I think I felt compelled to comment on that video because I wanted to stand up for other women who also felt like that was an ouch, who also don't want to feel oppressed by this cultural narrative of how we feel about ourselves versus how other people perceive us and how generally we're trying to convince other people to perceive us in a favorable way by shaping and manipulating ourselves. And that's a big statement to make, but I feel pretty confident in saying that based on the research by people like Jessica and and these examples over and over again. I I just don't fully believe that these girls view themselves as neutral. I wish they did. I would love to be wrong. I would love for that woman to feel like truly that her side view, despite being, quote, different from her front view, is equally beautiful. If she believes that, great. Does not take away from the fact that I was triggered by it, though, right? And that's where these things are complicated. And again, another reason why it's not really worth defending ourselves. We can do better by acknowledging when we've hurt someone, even if we haven't intended to. That's something that I've really learned through this podcast, especially doing this on my own and acknowledging that I will stumble and I'm trying to figure this out and talk through a lot of these complex things and just say, hey, this is hard. And there's a lot working against us, you know, like that's the other reason I feel so drawn to Jessica DeFino's work is that another phenomenal statement 
to vanish into beauty is to become visible as a person. And this trend actually kind of ties into that too. I don't, not that girls that I comments video, but there were a few others with this comparison between how somebody felt versus what they looked like. One that stands out is a girl talking about how she went to a bar and she thought she was really pretty and she was sitting at the bar and waiting for a guy to come up and ask for her number. And then this secondary comparison view was her side view, once again, of her slumped over, her stomach spilling out over her dress or clothes, whatever she was wearing. And just like kind of forcing her body into a shape that's culturally viewed as less attractive and saying like, oh, no man would possibly be attracted to me. Now, those exact words were probably not used, but that was the gist of the video of like what she thought would attract someone was actually perceived as being unattractive because she didn't look nearly as good as she felt. And thus, to tie into this Jessica DeFino quote, this person was no longer visible. You know how society talks about like certain people feeling invisible because they don't fit into the beauty standard. So many people feel the need to make themselves look beautiful as within the confines of societal exception, like the standard of beauty to fit into that in order to be visible. And I think about this so much with social media and probably why I've moved away from it and why podcasting feels so much better to me because it's an audio medium. It's not about my appearance, even though I'm working on getting all the videos on YouTube. I put them on YouTube because it's a way of connecting. Like I'm not on YouTube anymore to fit into that societal structure. In fact, sometimes I feel like showing up without makeup and wearing my hair on a messy bun and not adjusting everything to look as perfect as I used to try so hard to do. I think showing up just as I am that day is almost a rebellious act. And it feels vulnerable because I feel open to criticism, like people criticizing whatever flaws they might perceive in me as they have off and on throughout my whole career. But I would rather put myself in that position than try to become more visible through beauty. That feels oppressive to me, deeply so. And yet, because I spend time on TikTok, and this is the danger of me as Whitney using TikTok as a sensitive person, when I'm on there seeing all these videos of girls fitting into the beauty standard, I'm exposed to the beauty standard over and over and over again. And then I'm exposed to these girls tapping into the trends of making fun of their flaws or positioning themselves as flaws or saying they're invisible because of what their profile looks like, saying that they're nowhere near as pretty as they think they are. When you're exposed to that over and over again, I think that it starts to convince us on some level. And perhaps that's why I wrote that comment because I'm angry I'm resentful about that. That's heartbreaking to me. Truly, that human beings spend all of this time, money, and their lives trying to be visible. But whoever really said that we are invisible, truly? None of us are. None of us. We are all worthy human beings. It's just like, almost gets me choked up. Like I'm feeling the tears come up and just feeling like this is a bigger and bigger part of, I don't know if it's my life's work, but I just feel so saddened by a culture, a society that convinces us that we are not visible if we don't follow the standards put in place by somebody who made them up. And it's this capitalistic, mentality. And I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about capitalism. But more and more, I'm like, what is the purpose of making us feel invisible? Well, first of all, does it take away our power? Do we feel like we don't matter, that nobody pays attention or cares, that nothing we do will be important? So that's one level is we are more easily manipulated and dominated if we feel invisible. 
that's, I think, a huge part of the racist ties. The more I learn about the history of racism, it's convincing somebody that they are not as worthy, that they are not as visible because of the color of their skin. It's sickening. And it's a way to dominate because people feel threatened by someone looking different than them, right? We do this same thing with fat phobia, these issues, these projections we've put on to other people because of their body size. And the fact that being larger than somebody else makes you less visible, it's completely counterintuitive. So messed up. Being a different skin color makes you less visible. Like, uh, no, like having different skin colors, I feel like would make you stand out in a positive way, right? Because you look different and you stand out. But instead, let's convince people to believe that they're invisible and they don't have as much power. Deeply messed up. But then to tell people that because of their age, with ageism, that they're invisible. Oh, well, you're over a certain age. You don't matter as much anymore. Oh, you've been on this planet longer than me. Well, too bad I matter more. Something they have zero control over, just like skin color. Although I guess you could maybe through some drastic change, manipulate the color of your skin, perhaps. But you can't change your age. You can pretend, I guess. I guess like all of this could be pretend. You can pretend that to a certain extent that you're different than who you really are. But the drastic measure that any of that would take just in order to be seen. So I guess maybe that's the whole point of this is that somebody who participates in these type of beauty trends on TikTok the trend in itself is fitting and the trend in itself is about visibility. I think that girl at the end of the day, maybe she just wants to be visible. Maybe her cry for help is just like, see me, hear me. I'm participating in a trend. You can laugh at my expense, but at least if you laugh at my expense, that shows that I matter to you. At least that you can relate to me so you see me. And it's kind of crazy, right? Like how many things in our lives do we do just to be seen? Something else I want to touch upon before I wrap this up is another complete kind of, well, I was going to say completely unrelated thing, but I, I do see some parallels because it's social media and appearance related. I was talking with someone earlier today about gender reveal parties and how we don't recall them being around for very long. Off the top of my head, I feel like gender reveal parties are a new thing. Like maybe within the past five years. I don't know. Did people do them before? Ignorant of that. Don't recall. And this person and I are talking about how it seemed to correlate with social media because a lot of at least my perceptions of gender reveal parties have developed over social media, seeing pictures of parents finding out the gender of their child. And then I also thought, how strange is it that this is a relatively new phenomenon, but yet we're in a time where it seems like society is embracing non-binary and learning more about gender issues, having more equality, accepting people who transition from one gender to another or don't, don't identify as a gender they're born into. Like, it seems like we're learning and making progress towards acceptance. And yet still, it's very common for people to do it, a gender reveal. I don't really feel comfortable with that because you're telling the world before your, your child's even born what gender they are. What's the purpose of that? Truly, what is the purpose of people knowing in advance whether you're having a boy or a girl? And in this moment, I feel like it is an opportunity. Well, this is complicated. In the conversation, the context of the conversation, this person and I were talking about how it seemed like just another opportunity to celebrate together before a child was born and to take 
photos and videos for social media. Like if this really was, again, excuse my ignorance if I'm wrong about this, but if these parties grew, (laughs) so funny. I just have to acknowledge this. I just spit this, well, relatively big little bubble that just landed on my microphone. I had to acknowledge it for when this video comes out might sound gross, but it has never happened to me before. (laughs) How humbling, right? (laughs) Oh, okay. I digress. I just wonder how basically is a parent deciding to have a party, have that photographed and videotaped so that they could have more photos on social media, period, I guess. Like how much of our lives is a performance, which is something I've been talking a lot about recently, but at the expense of another human being, even though it might sound innocent, there's an issue not only with your child who may not identify as the gender they're born as or the gender they look like, But also the other people that are perceiving this, the other people that are witnessing that performance. When you have a party, the people that attend that party, is it reinforcing the ideas that gender is one of two options? Is it reinforcing this idea? You know, it's a complicated thing, but the more I think about it, we still have so far to go boy or a girl. It's blue or it's pink. Those are the colors typically used at these parties. So we are planting the seeds before a child's even born to perceive that child as being pink or blue, boy or girl. And the presents that are given tend to shift once that answer is revealed. And so does that then become more complicated for this child to just be organically itself? when it's already being imposed and projected onto that into these adults that are attending these parties and witnessing these performances, is it making it harder for them to conceptually accept the fact that that child may not identify as that gender, right? Like I hear over and over again, in fact, just the other day talking to a stranger about this, how it's hard for them to understand non-binary and understand pronouns. And likely we didn't talk about transgender, but I imagine based on what they were saying that that is challenging for them. It's not that they're against it, just hard. And it's even hard for me. You've heard me stumble through as I was talking about Jessica. I don't know offhand. Just because this person's name is Jessica doesn't mean that they identify as a woman doesn't mean that they use she, her pronouns, but here I am assuming and in the habit of saying, oh, Jessica means her, Jessica means she. And I am more and more proactive about that because it's not my place to project that on and convince you, right? I take my role as a person that has somebody listening to them I take that very seriously because if I keep assigning pronouns to somebody without knowing it, then in a way, I'm kind of encouraging, I'm modeling for you to do the same. So what if we both found out that Jessica identifies as they, them, or he, him? Could be confusing if you kept hearing me always identify Jessica as she, her. And I just find gender reveal parties interesting from that standpoint, but also the performance of it all. All the performance that goes into children is deeply fascinating to me as someone that does not have children. And the decisions and the nuances and all of that, that that's a whole nother episode. There's actually a woman on TikTok. This is one of the bright sides of TikTok that I, I see and get exposed to some incredible points of view. And there's a woman who deeply advocates for children's rights in terms of social media content. 
And her whole account is exploring the dangers of parents using their kids for views on TikTok and calling out parents who do potentially harmful things, either psychologically harmful or sometimes even physically harmful to their children because it gets that parent attention. It ties into this visibility thing. Are parents using their children to feel more important, to feel more visible? And at what expense to their kids? And I guess that's the big lesson here. At what expense do we do things for our own visibility? Our time, our money, our lives, and other people's feelings. Ideally, we would consider the impact that we have on others the best to our ability. Not easy. Don't fully know how to do it myself, but it's something I spend a lot of time thinking about. And speaking of thoughts, I would love to hear yours. And speaking of psychological safety, I am now in the, I was going to say habit, but spending more and more time reminding you or telling you for the first time, depending on your listener journey, of my number one favorite place to communicate, which is Beyond Measure. It's a private community I created in order to develop a psychologically safe place to connect with each other and to introduce you to other people who are interested in these same topics. If you go to the show notes for this episode, which will also link to Jessica DeFino's work, will link to anything else I mentioned, like the Belly of the Beast book, which is a phenomenal read. I will not link to the TikTok videos I mentioned. I don't think so. (laughs) I actually don't do my show notes Uh, I have a team that supports me with that. And sometimes they're so good at finding references. They might dig up the TikTok videos, but in a way, I hope that they don't because (laughs) I don't want to give that trend I've been discussing any more attention. So you can seek it out if you would like. But most things that I reference in this episode will be in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And in those resources will be beyond measure. It is free to join. Depending on when you join, it may be free indefinitely. Well, even the word indefinite isn't quite right. Basically, I'm in a transition right now, gearing up to start charging a small membership due for it because it does cost me time and money to run that community. It is not a project that I want to do for a large profit So I'm trying my best to structure it in a way that is super affordable, but it will be free to at least try out. And if you're curious about it, I would invite you to come take a look and see if it feels like a fit for you. The aim of it is to have these type of deep conversations in real time. So it's not just me speaking to you, but it's an opportunity for us to speak together at the same time, to learn from each other, to practice that oops, ouch, educate framework in an ideal setting to connect to other people that have different ideas and thoughts and feelings on things. Generally, we are in alignment. It's definitely a like-minded bunch of people, but I'm hoping as Beyond Measure expands that it will welcome in more people that have different points of view so that we can truly educate and learn from each other. So I invite you in there. I would love to have a part you part of it to get to know you. That is just the ultimate way. And actually, Beyond Measure does not have to involve live conversations. It's just a great way to connect. There's a messaging section in there that you can use privately with me, with other members. There's a, a forum, essentially. It's, it's kind of like a Facebook group, but not on Facebook. Uh, so that's there. Love to to just hear more about your thoughts. A a lot of the members do discuss the episode. So if you want to chat with other people with me not even involved, you're welcome to do that. And if Beyond Measure is not of interest to you whatsoever, that's okay. I would love to hear from you via email, which is also linked at wellevator.com or social media. I have several social media accounts. I check them pretty regularly. Instagram is a really great place to reach me. I, I mostly use Instagram for the direct message feature. TikTok as well, although their direct message feature is tricky because it doesn't alert you as well if you have messages, at least not these days. But 
you can reach out to me on, on TikTok too. I'm on there all the time. So however you choose to reach out, hearing from you is one of the greatest joys for me. And thank you for listening. I'll be back again on Friday with another episode, this time with a guest. I have an amazing lineup of guests. I really strive to bring in people with different perspectives and knowledge and tons of diversity that's just of great importance. And trying to examine diversity from all different angles, whether that's age, race, religion, education, part of the world. But you know what? In this moment, I have not had as a lot of guests of various body sizes. And in this moment, I'm just realizing that. So I think I need to do some more outreach. Maybe it's because health and wellness is so associated with a smaller body, a thinner frame. Maybe people don't feel welcome. And I'm trying to, you know, broaden this show that it's not like stereotypical white wellness. It's really the opposite of what I I want this to be. So I think I might need to work a little bit harder to be more inclusive for different elements. So I will aim to do that so I can have more discussions. I'd love to have Jessica Dufino on the show. I just, I think I, you know, certain people I'm like, I want to wait till the right time, but maybe I'll send her this episode and say, Hey, (laughs) I'd love to hear your thoughts directly from you. So we'll see. I'll try to make that happen. And uh, until then, thanks again for listening. I'll see you soon. I'm wishing you all the very best with your own mental journey as you continue reflecting on anything that I've explored today. Bye for now. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 